High Noon. This is News Talk. It is Thursday and that does mean that it's essential song times. And I am now joined by the lovely Bill Hughes to tell me about a cracker of a tune that he has for me this week. I do have a cracker of a tune for you this week. I really do. Um, I think... uh, I'm surprised we haven't done it before in all the years that I've been doing this slot on here. But um, the song is Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Well, now, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that part of it came two years after the song was written and after it was first recorded. Because I first want to talk to you about who wrote it. Otis Redding. Otis Redding, sitting on the dock of the bay. Yes. Amazing. And try a little tenderness. And yeah, yeah. Otis Redding wrote this song in 1965 when he was all of 24 years of Amazing. age. Amazing. And he recorded it. But um, the, the funny thing is, the music in the two versions is significantly different. What Otis's version, uh, with a few minor changes in the lyrics, the stories told by the two songs uh, have a totally different flavour. So Redding's version is a plea from a desperate man who will give his woman anything she wants. However, Franklin's version is a declaration from a strong, confident woman who know that, knows that she has everything her man wants. She never does him wrong and she demands his respect. And then Franklin added R-E-S-P-E-C-T and the chorus, the backup singer's refrain, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. I don't know if you remember suck it to me. Oh, Ro- I do. Rona Martin laughing. It was ah. Rona Martin laughing, say, and that's what Goldie Hawn and Judy Kern, they all used to say, suck it to me, suck it to me, in, the, in between the jokes on the Rona Martin laughing, and they'd get buckets of water thrown at them. <laughs> but um, the, the thing about uh, Aretha Franklin's cover, it was a landmark for feminism uh, and uh, in the feminist movement. And it's also considered as one of the best R&B songs of the era. It won her two Grammy Awards. Um, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1984. And in 2002, the Library of Congress uh, honoured Franklin's version by adding it to the National Recording Registry because it's so important. And it was placed number five on Rolling Stones magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It's number five. It's way wow. up in the pantheon of it songs. Isn't a tremend- it is a tremendous song. Yeah, and it was included on Otis Redding's third studio album, Otis Blue, in 1965. And... The album became uh, largely, uh, widely successful by his R&B and blues fan base. But he he then started to cross over from the Billboard. There was the Billboard Black Singles Chart. I mean, it was actually called the Billboard Black Singles Chart. And he crossed over to the pop radio white audience, black and white. Like it was that divided yeah, it was yeah. in this in this crazy era. But it was... Uh, That's the what we used to say about Elvis too, wasn't it? The white boy singing black boys music. Yeah, but that was because of where he was from and, and he was... He was born into that kind of music. And it was the producer, Jerry Wexler, who brought uh, Reading Song to Franklin's attention. And uh, he said, she's going to make it a crossover. So um, let's talk about Otis Redding. Okay. He was born in 1941 and tragically died in a plane crash in 1967. Um, But he was a member of the 27 Club. 
He was 27. Up there with uh, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin. And, and Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse and Jimi Hendrix and Brian Jones. It's like, yeah. it's an extraordinarily tragic, so sad young. group. Yeah. But um, he was born and raised in Georgia and he used to sing in talent shows to try and win the prize money. Because, uh, like, as a kid, there was nothing going on for him. And he got an on, a, a little appearance on a Stax recording session, ended up getting him his first uh, single. And he was he was popular with the African-Americans, but his voice just crossed over and he became the first ever black soul artist to perform on the West Coast at the Whiskey A Go Go in Los Angeles. But he, he was massive in Europe. He performed in Paris, in London and, and came to Europe and just everybody fell at his feet because sitting at the dock of the bay became such a classic. Yeah. And he went from being so penniless to earning a ridiculous fortune, like $35,000 a week. At one stage, it was said that he had 400 suits and 200 pairs of shoes because that's what you do when you suddenly get money. You yeah, go well, a bit crazy. You, you, you know, spend, spend, especially spend. Especially when you've come from, from pennilessness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you think about uh, the songs that he wrote, I've been loving you too long uh, with the impressions lead, lead singer Jerry Butler and Old Man Trouble and, and then writing Respect. That started to, to cross him over. And uh, he was six foot two. He was 220 pounds, so he was built like a brick, yeah. they used to say. And but his friends and his family have always said that he was emotionally incredibly immature and that he never, ever properly grew up. But he was still so young. I mean, he, he died he at 27. So ha, ha, yeah, no, but that he he was like they're saying that he was a, a perennial teenager, like he hadn't developed. Mm. Um, but it hardly mattered because Earning the money he earned, he bought the big old ranch uh, called after Otis, of course, and he earned more than a million dollars in 1967. So a million dollars in 1967. That was humongous money. Millions and millions of money now. Yeah. And in fact, that year he sold more records than Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin combined. Wow. Uh, So he was really there. But when you look back at respect, George Harrison uh, said that it was what influenced Baby You Can Drive My Car, that that was the influence for the song. And the Rolling Stones mentioned Reading as their important influence, as did Led Zeppelin, Grateful Dead, Leonard Skinner and The Doors. And then, of course, all the R&B artists yeah. just queued up to say how important he was. So will we listen to oh, Aretha's version oh, of please. Respect and then we'll talk about Aretha.
to be <laughs> so good, isn't it? Isn't it just? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's so fresh. And it's celebrating its 50th birthday. No way. It's 50 years old. So it's incredible. It goes to show you true talent doesn't date. Yeah, it's as fresh as ever, you know, just to hear that. So Aretha Louise Franklin. What a woman. Yeah, what a woman. Born in 1942. And born into a very weird household. Her mother was a music teacher, but her father was the minister, C.L. Franklin. And he was a bit of a maverick. He was known as the million dollar voice because he would whip his people up into an absolute frenzy. And Aretha started uh, singing when she was eight. And she also started taking piano lessons. And the amazing thing about the piano lessons was that Aretha plays piano on most of her recordings. Does she? Herself. I did she's not know that. The, the, she's the woman at the, at the keyboard. But when you think of the commercial acclaim that she's had and the success with songs like Respect or You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman or Spanish Harlem or Think, you know, her early, early hits, uh, they all marked her out in the 60s and had her called the Queen of Soul. Yeah. Which is amazing because Otis Redding was called the King of Soul. And so it's just that he should write that song, you know, not with her in mind, but that she should grab it. Absolutely. And the the thing in her father was shot dead in 1979. And so at that stage, Aretha decided to get out of the recording contract. Oh, he was he was a a philanderer. He was caught in so many compromising positions. And it was the reason her mother had left him and her mother died just before she was 10. And uh, so it was very dysfunctional, very sad upbringing. And at the age of 14, she gave birth to her first son. Good um, she then had another son. Neither of the fathers were ever identified. Um, and her mother, the granny and her sister actually brought up the kids, you know, and gave her the freedom to get out there and to be able to record and to 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 mix with people and, and, and friends. But um, in the house when she was growing up, because her father had this million dollar voice, the people who would visit the house, Martin Luther King, Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, they would all come to the house when she was just a little girl. And so she grew up in this exciting Absolutely. sort of male maelstrom of, of, of. So her father moved to be the parson at uh, or the pastor at the New Bethel Church, which was near uh, in Michigan. And um, she was brought up on a diet of gospel music, but she said, I think I'd be better off singing the pop stuff. And the father decided he was going to be the one to manage her. Mm. So Sam Cooke said, OK, sign her to my to RCA. And no. And Barry Gordy said, well, sign her to Tamla Motown. No. So the father was doing it. So, so in fact, the early part of her career was kind of impeded and held back, even though she did have hits. But then when the father was gone out of the picture, she was then able to have the freedom to to sign. And off she went to Atlantic and she sang, I never loved a man the way that I love you. 
and that became Another so great successful tune. and Chain of Fools and Ain't No Way and I Say a Little Prayer. Say a Little Prayer is one of you the best know, songs when you of just time. think of all this. Now, she had an incident in 1984 and that has led to her fear of flying. And as a result, here in Ireland, the UK, we've never seen her in concert because ah, she so that's why. hasn't flown since 1984. Wow. She big, won't fly. She travels overland and uh, like Elvis, you know, same thing. And she's only performed in North America since then. And uh, she's been married twice. Her first marriage to Ted White in 1961, uh, that was oh, in spite of her father sort of saying, no, please don't. And then her second, so she, that ended in divorce. And then she married her second guy, Lynn Herman. And that also ended in divorce. Now, she's had this boyfriend for years, um, Wilkerson, Willie Wilkerson. And she's been engaged to him twice. <laughs> but in 2012, she actually finally decided, no, we're not going to be in a relationship anymore. She's also been encountering very bad health problems recently. She's in her 70s. Yeah. Now. And at her recent concerts, she's been asking her fans to pray for her and she's had massive weight loss. So people are very worried about Aretha Franklin right now. So we say a little prayer for you, Aretha, and oh. we hope you're OK and we send you our respect. And we totally do. And listen, what a great, look, what a great tune and, and uh, what an amazing artist as yeah. well. Extraordinary artist. Extraordinary artist. And as particularly that whole thing about respect for a black woman to stand up and say that because whatever about feminism, you know, women being downtrodden, black women were particularly downtrodden, oh, yeah. marginalised tw- like twice over. Yeah. Um, amazing stuff. Look, thank you. And I'm so glad we got to play that on the air. <laughs> Bill and I were having a little dance in here. And I will see you next Wednesday and next Thursday, Bill. Yeah. You're, she's coming on Cutting Edge. You've I am. got to see Dr. Kira Kelly coming on Cutting Edge <laughs> next Wednesday night with the marvellous Stephanie Preisner and Richie Oakley from The Times I edition. We're yeah. going to have great, great fun. Panel. Thank you for that and thanks as ever to Bill Hughes for Essential Songs. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Sean Moncrief is up next. My thanks to Michael Quilligan on sound, to Kira Courtney, Alex Russo and Siobhan MacDonald for producing and Mark Simpson for editing. But from me, Kira, have a great day.